I'm going to be reading from Mark 9, uh, beginning in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They had kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as, it, just as it is written about him. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law, of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it, is, it has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this guy can only come out by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know what they, what, where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what it meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what are you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, 
anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child when he placed among them. Taking the child into his arms, he said, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who has sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Miles. If you'd like to turn your attention to the screen, we're going to watch a short film. We planted Trinity Church Nottingham in 2016 with a vision to see the church on fire and the city alive. And since then, we have seen hundreds of people welcomed in to our church community. We have seen exponential growth in our kids' ministry and youth, and so many students finding home here. We've also seen people come to faith through Alpha and Sundays, and ultimately we have seen so many lives transformed in the last five years. We are incredibly grateful for all that God has done and poured out at Trinity. We're also really grateful to each of you for the part that you've played in the mission of God in this time. But we don't want to stop here. We're believing that God has more for our church because we believe that God has more for our city. Paul says in the letter to the church in Philippi, we press on toward the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. We want to reach the goal. And the goal for us is the church on fire and the city alive. It's renewal of the church and renewal of this city. Jesus says as he looks over Jerusalem, if only you had seen that this was the day of your visitation. What if Jesus is visiting this city at this time and inviting his church to respond to him in fresh ways? We're going after renewal of our original vision, Renewal of the church through new leaders and plants. Renewal among the emerging generations and personal renewal for each one of us. A few years ago, Amy and I were at a leaders gathering in Windsor and somebody called Julian Adams, South African man with a track record of very specific prophetic words for churches, had a word for us in which he saw our building and then began to speak over our church that there would be a supernatural grace on us to raise up a generation of revivalists. Here's a bit of what he said. I see like a glass front of building, you have to walk into the glass front and it's like you have to walk upstairs and there's a second floor dynamic to what you're looking at. I think you're from the Midlands area. I literally could see this glass front in the second floor. Is it an old building that's being reconverted like that? Okay, that's what I see. I feel like God wants to unlock supernatural grace for you to train a generation of revivalists. And I feel like the Lord wants to say there's something that's to come from the heart of the nation that will begin to train people who might never enter into church leadership with a revival kingdom world perspective. I feel like God is going to give you both supernatural grace to have a church that will be weighted on the millennial side. And that people will actually say to you, this is not healthy because there are too many young people. We need to get some older people. And whilst there might be some truth to that, I, I believe actually it's going to be a grace that's going to be weighted. It's like a, a Jesus people movement anointing on you. That uh, the kinds of people that will fill your building will not be able to fill the other church buildings. 
Outside of London, Nottingham is the city with the highest population of 16 to 24 year olds and it keeps on growing. This, alongside two incredible universities, gives a huge opportunity to reach people with the good news of Jesus. Alongside this, you'll have seen or perhaps even heard our kids and youth gathering downstairs in this space. And at the moment, they're bursting at the seams, which presents a huge opportunity as well as a challenge for us. We couldn't be more excited about this extraordinary growth and the life that this brings into our community. And simply, we want to throw resource behind it. We want to fuel the fire of what God is doing in our church. What about if we reimagine church so that kids, youth, students, the younger, the rising generations were right at the heart of it. And we as adults were supporting and equipping and releasing the kingdom of God through them. You know, they're already some of our most effective disciples. They're the who are reaching their friends. We've got so much to learn from them and we're excited to explore what that would mean. No creative idea is off the table. Going after God's good future for our city isn't going to be a cost-free exercise. Every one of us is at this time being invited to resource this, to give time, to give talent, to give our treasure into this vision to see the church on fire and the city alive. Yes, there's a cost, but along with the cost, there's also a tremendous opportunity. What else are we living for except to see the kingdom of God coming on earth in Nottingham as it is in heaven? Um, we're in a vision series, so if you didn't catch that, um, we are spending the whole month, week by week, um, just expressing to you really our hearts. As those that were here last week, you got quite a good dump of our hearts, I think. Um, so if you haven't, um, if you haven't uh, sort of heard the, the last few weeks, go ahead and go back and listen to some of what we have already said. Um, that we've been sharing, I think the first week we went, we were saying that we're at base camp, we're ready to climb the mountain, um, and, and then last week we talked about what it looked like to, to be with Jesus at the top, we talked about the transfiguration, that he wants to renew us, that we're going after personal renewal, we want to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, that we then make our way down the mountain with Jesus into our everyday lives to, to show Jesus, to be um, his glory, his hands and feet um, in our city. And so really these next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking then what it looks like as we come down the mountain, as we take his hand. What do we want to see? What, do we, what are we seeing God doing um, in our community? And how can we, yes, as I said in the video, put resource behind it. How can we all play our part in what we're already seeing God doing? So shall I pray quickly? Why don't you do that? Oh, all right. Well, Holy Spirit, we, um, we just thank you that you are that you're here. And above all else, we are, we're so grateful. We're so grateful, God, for all that you're doing. We're so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful that you have saved us, that you have set us free. And Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would just be moving among us, that you would be opening our hearts and our minds to what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I first met one of my life mentors, a man called Don Williams, when I was around 17. Don is the man in the middle, uh, and the other chap is someone that many of you have met, a, a very close friend and a kind of older brother in faith, Todd. 
Uh, I was 17, as I said, um, around the time I met him. And he would have been at that point, uh, that was 22 or so years ago, he would have been in his late 50s. Now, he was a vineyard pastor. He has been retired a fair, a fair amount now. He was a, a scholar and I guess a theologian for the vineyard movement in the USA for many years. And I met him at a time when I was already struggling. Struggling in life. I, I was really struggling in faith. Uh, but it was about to get much, much worse. And uh, in that time, and through that time, Tom, Don, Don, Tom, that's not his name, Don, honestly, I do know him, uh, became such a close friend to me. Uh, he, when I met him, he, 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 didn't, he didn't see the 40 years or so age gap between the two of us as any barrier whatsoever to us having a relationship. And um, I mean, his, in short, his friendship changed my life. I'm here because of him. You know, he... Uh, I'm not going to apologize, but I do want to get through this. Uh, he, he, he paid for things. You know, he, he flew me out to America to spend time with him in his house and introduced me to his friends. And uh, he, he would call me regularly when I was really, really struggling. He listened to me criticize every single thing that he loved. Everything. Every single thing. He, he listened to me criticize the church, his church, his God, his best friends. And he just loved me through it. And he's the reason I'm here. Now when we... When we read the story of Jesus in the Transfiguration, we see at the end of the story that, like every mountaintop experience, Jesus and his disciples have to leave, and they, they come down the mountain. They exit this profound spiritual moment this place of transformation. And what they see when they come down the mountain is so instructive. And I think it gives us a picture. And that's the picture, the picture of what God wants to do at the moment. And that's the picture we want to look at today. Now, for those who remember last week, we talked about the parallel between Jesus up the mountain at the transfiguration and the Exodus story where Moses climbs the mountain, receives the law, and has this profound moment of encounter with God. His face is shining. He is transfigured in God's presence. We spoke about how that means that God is inviting us into transformation. And that is true. And there's also a parallel here as Jesus comes down the mountain. The context of Exodus, or the flow out from the story in Exodus, of course, was, for those who remember, in Exodus 33 and 34, Moses comes down the mountain and what he finds is a people in rebellion. A faithless people who don't know how to live in God's presence. They lose their faith in their impatience and they persuade Aaron to build and make a golden calf for them. And the parallel here for those who have read the Old Testament is instructive. What Jesus finds is also a faithless generation who don't know how to hold and carry his authority. So he says this phrase to them. 
when he arrives. Verse 16, what are you arguing with them about? What are you arguing with them about? So an argument has, in, has ensued. As, as uh, uh, Miles has read to us, uh, Jesus arrives and he see, sees a large crowd and there are teachers of the law arguing with the disciples. What is the argument about? At this point, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Here, Jesus arrives at the bottom of the mountain with the same quandary that Moses uh, had when he arrived at the bottom of the mountain. The people who Jesus left behind have lost faith. They've lost confidence in their authority to use his voice. And this uh, occasion has emerged and they don't know what to do. They can't deal with the problem before before them. So that manifests itself in arguments and debates. Isn't it interesting that when we stop doing the things that we're supposed to be doing for God, the the things that God has given authority to do, what, what, what the church tends to do in that environment is just to break up into arguments. And so much of the division in the church in these days is because we've actually forgotten what we're actually supposed to be doing. And because we're not doing the kingdom work, because we're not doing any of that stuff, we just sort of break into arguments about this or that doctrine, this or that uh, minor point, which I think if Jesus was here among us, he'd be saying, guys, that really wasn't supposed to be the focus. I actually had, funnily enough, things for you to do. I gave you a voice, and you were supposed to be using that voice to release other people's voices. And instead, you just started uh, criticizing each other. In much the same way that I used to criticize Don and all of his uh, friends and all that he was doing. But this man comes to the fore in this moment and says, look, this is what the argument's about. Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. Uh, this, this is so important that the, this demonic presence is over this boy's life and it has robbed him of speech. Now, anyone who's a parent, anyone who's a grandparent, anyone who's spent any time with children whatsoever, you know that that the thing that parents like to do in in the early years of their child's development is to mark every milestone. You do this particularly with your first child. With your second child, you don't do it so much. If you have more than two children, you don't do it at all. But in your first child, you're very, very keen for those who don't have children. Let me just bring you into this. And there are books, and they say exactly what point your children should be doing what thing. And you look at them and you say, he's rolling over. He's a month early, rolling over. He's very clever. And you compare with other people, like how you'll never guess what he's done. He's rolled over a month early. And then the other parent says, my child rolled over two months early. And you go away cursing that parent. I think that's just you, darling. Okay, that's just me. This is one of the key milestones in the development of any child is speech. One of the first things children must learn to do if they're going to be cared for by their parent is to make a sound. And they cry and they wail. But the first word is a particular milestone for any parent. And this father has never seen and never heard the sound of his son. This son missed every milestone when it came to speech. And that father, out of the abundance of the brokenness of his heart, comes to Jesus and says, look, Satan has robbed my child. 
Except this father first came to the disciples and the disciples couldn't do anything about it. So now he comes to the father. Robbed him. Robbed him. Those words are important. This is not some accidental malady. This is not some medical issue. This father understands that this is, this is an offense and an attack against God. And God's purposes for this child's life, this, this demonic spirit has robbed this child of speech. This child has no voice. And the disciples can't do anything about it. Now Jesus replied, his, his, his reply is fascinating, you unbelieving generation. Jesus, meek and mild, we sing at Christmas. Here he is, meek and mild Jesus, lowly and humble. You unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Those of you who've read the Psalms, you know this. These two words are words of lament. How long? How long? How long? So what we're supposed to hear, if we've read the Psalms, what we're supposed to hear at this point is Jesus here is lamenting. What is he lamenting? He's lamenting the brokenness of the situation around him. He's lamenting that there is a world in which children's voices have been robbed. In which they don't have the power of speech. And yes, he's also lamenting the lack of faith in his disciples. How can it be that I've been with you this long and you still don't understand even the most basic things in my kingdom? He laments their faithfulness and he laments the situation and he says these words. And these words are so beautiful, they're so simple, but here's what he says. Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. He could do it at a distance, but he says, no, come, bring the boy to me. He involves the father in the healing of this son. And so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. And there is, as there often is, a commotion. Jesus stills the boy and heals the boy, but not before healing also the father. There's a profound encounter. We don't have time to go into it now because we're already running late. But Jesus heals the Father. He heals him by healing his faith. Jesus says, do you believe that this can happen? You know, the Father says, uh, it, the Father says if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can do anything, everything's possible. And the Father says the words that we all must put in our mouths because none of us has enough faith. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Honestly, that's the prayer I pray more than any other. I do believe. Help me, help me with my unbelief. This, I believe, is a powerful prophetic picture of what we believe the Spirit of God is saying to this church at the moment. To the church more generally in this, in this age where there is a demographic crisis in God's church. A generation who've been robbed of their voice. 
who don't know how to praise God because nobody's ever showed them. They don't even know the name of Jesus. They don't know that there is a Father in heaven who loves them, who unconditionally loves them, who created them before the foundation of the world, that they could, uh, that, that made them, he, that they're his workmanship, they're his poem, they're his love poem, that they were created in advance to do good works which God prepared in advance for them to do. They don't even know that. Whole generation in this nation and beyond this nation who have no idea of their God-given purpose. They've been robbed of speech. And in the midst of that, Jesus says to his church, bring the boy to me. Bring the child to me. He's longing to see his church do our job, fulfill our call, our mandate, which is to bring the children to him. Suffer not the children to come to me, Jesus says. Do not forbid them. Welcome them in. We want to see a generation of revivalists. My friend Don used to say, Johnny, the church is only ever one generation away from extinction. It's true. It always has been true. But it is time for the church to respond to this in practical ways. We have to rebuild the church from the ground up. There is no longer the ability, as we have had in previous generations, to rely on sort of some kind of cultural uh, current. Bringing people into the kingdom. Children do not wander into Sunday school any longer because their parents want them to just be dealt with on a Sunday morning. It doesn't happen. We've got to find ways to do this. I just felt like you wanted to say something. Well, I was just going to, I was just reminded, um, I... um I just feel, I think I feel like the children are, there's such a hunger, and maybe that's um, what you were just saying, I feel like there's such a hunger, and, um, and I had a dream the other day, um, and I sort of have crazy, you know, sort of dream, I'm a dreamer anyway, um, but I was dreaming, um, and there was this very, very clear um, voice that woke me up, um, and I believe it was God's voice, and he said, um, the, the youth are hungry, Who's going to introduce them to me? <laughs> and it was so loud. I woke up and I told you um, straight away. And I was like, oh, they're so hungry. Who's going to introduce Jesus to them? You know. Um, anyway, it just reminded me as you were speaking. Well, that's good. I'm glad it did. <laughs> so it's our job. It's our job. This is a particularly young city. You know, 20.7% of this city are under 17 years of age. We have between, by, uh, there are various different estimates. I've heard as many as 80, as few as 43,000. 43,000, 80,000 students in this city. There's a lot. There are two major universities, and welcome to those students. But Jesus, at the end of this passage in verse 36, takes a little child, places them, the child, among them, and says, whoever welcomes me does not welcome, sorry, well, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. It is time to welcome the children in a new way. That's what we are believing for at this time. So, Amy, the next section is yours. Yes, we um, 
Part of what we want to share with you this morning is that we're already seeing it. We, um, as we said in week one, that we're watchful. What are you doing? And we're seeing um, incredible favour and um, in beautiful things happening with our kids, youth and students and outside in our city. Um, so we just want to do a bit of a fire hose, really, um, of telling you some stories of what is happening and what we're seeing to sort of help you um, as we explain this, the, the journey. So Tanya, you come up first. Now Tanya is our Emerging Generations Pastor. Um, thank you, yeah, clap, clap. Um, and, uh, and Tanya oversees um, kids and youth, and you'll have heard from her prayers that it's like, <gasps> the fire is there within her. But you, give us, give us a snapshot. What's happening in kids and youth, and what do you want to see? What are your hopes? And some stories. Okay, um, I think last September we were kind of faced with a blank canvas of what do you want to do, God? And I remember me and Jacob saying we don't feel qualified, but what do you want to do, God? And um, I think I wrote down here is that basically since last September we've been like trying to catch up with what Jesus is doing. And I feel like, you know, the generation of revivalists, which you heard in that prophecy, that Jesus is raising an army of these youth and kids. Whether we like it or not, he's doing it. He's calling them in. And we have seen over this last year, you know, kids go from 30 to over 100. And we've seen youth go from 6 to 85. And it's, we're not doing anything special. But Jesus is, is drawing them in. And we have seen, I mean, incredible things with kids. You know, we can say, we're going to hear from God now. We're going to just listen to this piece of music, see what God says. And then queuing up to say what God is saying to them on the microphones. And their faith is just like, yeah, God will do it. We've seen them praying for healing. We've seen them giving us words of knowledge, praying for us. And we've seen them, more than anything that's so exciting, we've seen them taking it out. And they're bringing their friends back. Most of these new people are friends from their playgrounds, you know, that they've prayed for in the playground or prayed for the Holy Spirit to touch their friends. In them. We've heard so many wild stories, but they're coming in. And these kids that we're raising here are going out. And uh, with youth, we've just seen, again, beautiful stories of friends that don't know God coming in um, broken, fearful, fearful of people, fearful of God. And one particular um, person we've seen come in and meet, encounter Jesus, go up the mountain, encounter Jesus, be filled by the Holy Spirit, come to youth, come to church, go to wildfires, go to focus, you know, it's like Jesus is moving and we are on catch up. And um, like what um, Johnny said, when he said about this guy, Don, I remember, I can remember a lady when I was a child who was probably 30 years older than me, cheering me on. I can remember the name, that was Grace. I can remember a lady called Sarah when I was in youth, cheering me on. And I can remember as a student age, I can remember someone else, Helen, cheering me on. We all can be a name that somebody can, can talk about when they're Order that's cheered them on and drawn them into that relationship with God and into family. Um, is that enough? Yeah, what do you, and what do you want to see? What's the hope? Okay, so on the, a bit later in that prophecy, they told me this a year ago and I was like, nah, you got this bit wrong. Uh, he, he saw a stadium in Nottingham filled with youth. Do you know, I actually really do believe that is going to happen. Um, I 
I am so excited to see God move. I'm so excited to partner with him and, and with other churches, not just us, with other leaders that want to raise this youth up and see our youth praying for revival. Not our, It won't even be us. It will be them. They'll be praying and this stadium will be full of their friends that they brought to encounter Jesus because they've been transformed, whether it be downstairs or whatever thing we put on. They've experienced an encounter God and they want to take it out. So my dream is for that. I want to open this place for a warm space for kids around this area to come in the autumn to get a meal where we can just love on them. I want that to happen. Don't know how yet, but I want that to happen. I want to see youth hubs set up like north, south, east, west, all around Trinity in different areas with us, some of us, just giving our time and our love to these young people. Um, I'm just dead excited. God's probably like, just calm down. But um, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. And I believe it because I've seen this year what God's done. And if he can do that in a year um, with just a few of us, with loads of us on board, going for it together, I mean, it is just what will you do, God? It will be exciting. So, yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Let's give a round of applause. Yeah. Yeah. So this is also happening. Students, Oscar, would you come? Uh, let's welcome Oscar to come. Yeah. So, um, Oscar, just, just briefly tell us, what you, you've been here for years now. What, what's God been doing in that time for you? Um, I think... Like, me, like an ice cream licking. <laughs> I think for me, um, yeah, having community has been just so valuable for me. Uh, it's not something I had growing up. And so, yeah, having people that can uh, challenge me and encourage me and do that from a biblical perspective um, has, just, has just been, uh, mm. yeah, so powerful. Um, but yeah, also the events that um, you've been putting on with students and in the wider church um, is, is also been really impactful. Mm. Um, particularly for me, it was a prayer evening that we had just before summer. Mm. Um, yeah, the prayer night from like 11 till 2 a.m. Yeah, um, yeah it, like we, we contended for the kingdom. We, we prayed and prophesied over one another. And yeah, God was just really present there. Mm. Um, yeah. It's amazing. It's another one of those nights coming up, as was advertised earlier. But you've also been sort of out there. You know, you've responded and God's been using you. Just tell us that story about what happened in, in Wilford briefly. Yeah, um, so I was, I was really encouraged coming off the back of that, that prayer night. Um, and I, yeah, I just really believe God's going to do revival and in the students as well. And um, yeah, so I felt God telling me to go to, out to Wilford on Saturday. And I, I just was planning to do a prayer walk and I felt like God was going to do a healing there so I was just praying God just give me give me one healing and it was kind of dead there wasn't really many people around um, but I was walking down there's like a road that goes north to south of Wilford um, and yeah I felt God telling me to go down this one road um, I wasn't sure if it was him I almost walked past the road actually but um, I went down the road and as soon as I went around the corner someone came around the corner on crutches um, and yeah, just felt God saying, pray for that person. Um, and they, they were telling me like they'd be on crutches for uh, pretty much the rest of their life. They had a knee, knee problem. Um, and I told, I told them why I was there and prayed for them. And they said the pain was gone. And yeah, so I just started walking away. Um, and, as you do. Yeah, yeah. And as, as I was walking away, I heard her laughing, so I turned around, and she's just walking with both of the crutches in the air. Just, <laughs> yeah. 
Thanks, guys. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Oscar, thank you so much. That's, that's really, really encouraging. Can I just say also, like, yeah, I, I just think God's using anyone that's willing, anyone that, that wants to be used. Um, I certainly don't know what I'm doing, and you don't have to know what you're doing, but just, he just wants people to step out. And, um, yeah, I think he's, he's literally, like, on the edge of his seat in, in excitement for what, what he's going to do, especially in students. Um, yeah. Amen. Praise God. Wow. Thank you, Oscar. Thank you. Yeah, and, you know... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, we're also seeing um, kids reached outside um, of these walls, outside of our Trinity community. We've um, got TOTS. I think some people um, go, with, go to there. It's like a, a kids group um, that meet midweek. Um, and it started when we planted the church five years ago. And Adam and I, Adam Jones and I, uh, started it. And it was just he and I <laughs> and our children for about a year and a half. <laughs> and we were like, we just know that we need to keep going. We need to keep going. Um, and then people took it over, over from us. And it exploded. Um, and now we have so many parents um, that are part of the Trinity community outside um, of the city coming and making um, <coughs> sort of, um, connections um, and their children enjoying that space. Um, also, we have a compassion team here and, um, and we get to hear all these stories in our um, staff meetings um, so often. You guys don't, we want to share more of the stories. Um, but even just hearing Lib, who um, they have made um, connections with our local hotel for um, asylum seekers and refugees and, um, and Lib and a team of people who are in this space too they go and they take the children swimming um, that they've never um, swum before and they're teaching them how to swim. And, uh, and Lib just um, explains to us the joy um, on these children's faces as they have played around in the swimming pool and they have learned how to swim and they are enjoying that space. You know, if that isn't lifting a kid's head um, from such horrific um, situations, mm. then I don't know what is. But um, there also, we have partnerships um, across the city with um, other charities that we um, are partnering with, like Safe Families that we've talked before. Again, so many of you are volunteering to come alongside mm. vulnerable families, taking children out um, to the park to get to know them. Um, we've partnered with Belong and other charities during COVID. We've fed multiple families that we've kept relationship with, that we give presents to at Christmas and all that good stuff, and we're um, continuing connection. And the reason that we share all that is because we know there is so much more to do. You know, there is so much more to do. There are so many children that are gagged, that are voiceless, that have no way to express what they would like, their desires. Um, and we so want to do something about it. Um, and we can't <laughs> without help. And I know that many of you are already um, serving in beautiful ways in your jobs or other places that you're serving across the city. We want to hear about it. Like, let us know about it. How can we come alongside? How can we support? Um, but we also have plans um, for us to step into that, um, how we can reach other contexts, other demographics across our city um, to reach the need of children in our city. So, Yeah, a couple of years ago, we'll, we'll come into land now because we're running a little over. A couple of years ago, um, Mabel uh, Jones uh, left the, the gathering, the Sunday gathering, and, and we went to their house that, um, that weekend and that Sunday. The Jones house, as many of you have been to for lunch, um, it fed probably about half of the church uh, by this point. If you haven't had that invite, just invite yourself. I'm sure they won't mind. They'll um, give you a key. 
<laughs> probably. And um, uh, we got a phone call from Amy just a little while after saying, look, just want to know if one of your children has graffitied on one of my children's bed. And we said, no, we don't think so, but we'll, we'll tell them off anyway. Because <laughs> um, that's how we roll. And, uh, and then she said, no, actually, uh, Mabel's confessed she did it. And this is the graffiti she wrote on her bed. I don't know if you can see that, but it says, do a new thing, God. Isn't that amazing? When children are praying those prayers, writing those prayers on their bed, you know something's happening. What if this is the new thing that God is doing? What are the obstacles that must be overcome for us to play our part in it, for us to see it? The first, Jesus says, you know, it's faith. Honestly, the barrier is not on his side. There is a challenge of faith. And what I mean by that is twofold. Firstly, the faith to believe it might be possible. You know, if you've, if you've, if you've uh, tuned in you will, uh, to the news, you will think that the secular story is the only game in town. That actually we're beyond belief, you know, that Nietzsche was right, God is dead. That must be the truth. And if you believe uh, what the media and everything else, you know, what we see on our screens often, uh, what we read in our newspapers often, you will also, maybe even what your friends tell you when you're in the workplace, you might think that that's the truth, but it is not the truth. Jesus says... Uh, Anything is possible for him or, he, or for her who has faith, for the one who believes. But faith also means uh, the willingness to engage personally. For faith is always a verb. It's a doing thing. It's something that we do. We act out. And I believe this is a moment where God's people are being called out of passivity and into activity to engagement in the life of the kingdom. Neil Cole says this. I heard this quote recently. This, uh, this is last week. Haunting quite. Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing. It's disciples. Your church is only as good as her disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. We're not here, church, to meet our needs or your needs. That's not why we're here. We are here because God is calling an army who know how to praise him and are willing to be sent to share him with a voiceless generation. Johnny and I listened. Um, Johnny and I heard a pastor um, share this this week. We were chatting and he said, um, the problem he's facing with the majority of his people um, were that they still thought that they were the harvest when they were supposed to be the workers. It actually made me laugh because I was like, oh my gosh, how often do I think I'm, yeah. I'm the harvest? I need harvesting, but actually I'm the worker. I've been harvested. I've been set free. I've been saved by Jesus to be a worker, to go after the harvest. Um, and so I was like, oh, what a word for this season, but what a word for us. Mm. Remember, we're the workers. We go after yeah. um, the harvest. So should we stand yeah. and pray? Yeah, and just to say, you know, as we do that, um, we're not gonna, if we're following Jesus, we're not going to run out of vision anytime soon. Uh, we're not going to run out of strategies and, and designs, ways that the Holy Spirit's going to lead us in this. Um, and I, but I, I want to say with all affection... And uh, we are so grateful for the way that many of you have engaged in this vision over a number of years now. But we cannot get where, we, where God is calling us to go 
uh, with a third of us giving and a third of us serving. There is more for us as a church. And I believe that the, that the call for us in this next season is to a greater level of activation. And, and some, for some of us, that's going to be uh, prayer, uh, service, uh, joining teams. It's going to be what you do out there. You actually just need uh, folks around you to pray for the ways that you're being activated already in the world. And for some of us, that is going to be stepping into financial giving. And we are calling uh, us to just engage in that in new ways in this season. So why don't we pray?